coming up on the pod. Sydney Derby review. Steve Corrigan, Milos Ninkovic, what's happening there? Fan boycotts. Adelaide beat Wellington. Semi-final preview. That's all coming up right after this. Welcome back to another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. And tonight, um, we've got, yeah, we've got a really, I'm really looking forward. I'm really looking forward to this podcast. We've got a lot to get through. It's been a big weekend in, in the A-League men. Um, we've had a Sydney derby, which we're about to get into in the moment. We've had Adelaide winning as well. Um, and yeah, also some, some interesting stuff happening in, in, in club dressing rooms after games. So, um, it's, it's all happening really. Um, but anyway, I'm joined by Antonis Pagonis, Jack Tuhill, Jake Holler. We've got, uh, I don't think we have not had this, 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 uh, four man lineup in, uh, ever. So it's, it's good. We've got, there's a lot of potential for banter. And, uh, I think, uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's there to, uh, to be had, uh, to be honest. So, um, boys, how, how are we going? Anyone take it away? How are we feeling? The A-League this weekend? Thoughts, queries, concerns? Really? Anyone, literally weekend. anyone start oh, yeah. talking. I'm talking, I'm talking, but you won't allow me. This is what I brought up before. <laughs> Anyways, uh. it's good to be on here after the first week of finals. Like I said, one the result, I think we kind of expected it. Another result is the one that caught us all by surprise. But good to be on here. And like we said off there, good to be on here with Jake for the first time. It's a lineup we haven't seen before. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a good lineup. It's got like it's good youthful kind of exuberance, but then like some probably probably some beef that's gonna be had with like Antonis and Jack later at some stage. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a good lineup. Jake, how you going? I'm great. I'm great. And like Antonis, fantastic elimination finals we saw. Some, you know, I guess some upsets we saw. And, uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed to, uh, talk and, uh, view a bit of beef. I mean, potentially, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We need, we need this. The, the podcast is just not spicy enough. It's, it's as simple as that. You know, just let's, let's just start rules. Anyway. Um, and Jack, uh, Jack too. How, how are you? I mean, what's spicier than a Sydney Derby to review? It was certainly that's, like that's that. True. Certainly like that. And I think this is the first time I've been on a pod with both Jake and Antonis for a while. So I'm also as equally excited for, for this one. I think it's going to be a good one. Okay. Let's stop talking about how great it is to be uh, on the pod with each other and get into the game. So, um, <laughs> Sydney, Sydney FC, we have to talk about the derby first, of course. Sydney FC, uh, stunned the Wanderers, brilliant second half. They basically from the 46th minute, Till the end, they pretty much played the Wanderers off the park, to be honest. Um, that was, it, like, I couldn't quite believe when the first 15 minutes of that second half, that actually, um, it was in the commentary, Simon Hill mentioned, and he said Sydney had actually had 80% of the ball at one point. And it was just like, oh my God, like, you know, that's, that's stuff that you'd see, you know, Man City do regularly in the Premier League, for example. Now, I'm not saying, <laughs> not saying my only stretch Sydney FC uh, are at that, at that level, but of course, to see them have such a dominant uh, showing um, for in, in in a big game like this, and with all the kind of inconsistency they've had throughout the season, was was pretty incredible, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, just jump in here. I think that throughout 
uh, the entirety of this year on the podcast. Um, you know, in maybe in some degree of articles, but all the commentary about it has been how bad Sydney have been. I mean, this team and this squad is actually a really, really good football squad. And look, I mean, the first half of the season was w- was tough for them, but they've they've come good at the right time. I mean, you just notice about possession, like there's whilst Western Sydney have liked to play without the ball, I mean, certainly to not that extent, and to allow Sydney to have 14 total shots in that game, especially in a derby, you know, it's it's really unforgivable from the Wanderers' standard, especially considering um, how good they've been defensively, even over recent weeks, um, apart from that Melbourne City, which is to be understood for the best team in the country as it stands. And the thing with that is the people, what people don't... I think we skip over that the excitement of the win is this happened at Parramatta and it happened after the Wanderers mm. went that goal up as well. Because that first half, not to the extreme that Sydney did in the second half, but that first half was all Wanderers. They should have put the, bed, the game to bed there for me. You sure? I, or I, was, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't think like it was... The first part of the first half, the, it was all the Wanderers. Obviously not what Sydney have seen in the second half, but mm. it was the Wanderers game. And, you know, when you're there, you should be putting it to bed. But to go in the second half and show up like you're the Wanderers side from a couple of years ago mm. is shocking, honestly, in the biggest stage. And it was the, the other stat about touches in the box. I think they had something like the 20th touch in the box ended up in the goal. How can you let a team have that many touches in your box when you are the superior team? You are the team that beat them 4-0 or 4-1, whatever it was, a few weeks back. So it was very shocking to see. But as Cody said last week, you know, Sydney actually was the informed team entering this game. And since that derby demolition, they've actually looked like a competent football side for the first time this year. Well, yeah, I don't know whether... I. <laughs> It's honestly, you could say it's simply a case of LaFondra being back and fit that all of a sudden these guys are, are looking like a potential. I don't know. Look, uh, it's someone like Rodwell as well. It was yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think he's there as well. But I mean, I don't think. Like, I don't think, for example, like Mac Robert Mac, for example, you know, obviously very well taken equalizer. Uh, I think he's I think he's been a fine signing all season. Lolly's had his kind of fitness concerns. I don't think Rodwell, for example, has like changed them like massively or anything. I actually think, funnily enough, like for example, Joel King started over Diego Caballo last night. I actually thought Joel King was was kind of poor, to be honest. And he got he got beaten really easily in the lead up to that penalty, too. Um, but you know, it, like Luke Bratton's played pretty well, to be honest, whenever I've kind of watched him this year as well. Like, is it simply a case of, you know, LaFondra's just back fit and firing and now they actually have a striker who's going to finish their chances? I I don't know. Or is it or is it more complicated than that? It was from a corner, you know. I cannot believe they let... Um, oh, it's, um, uh, yeah. it's, a, it's brain, brain fight. If he was, like, in open play, he took a good touch or he won a penalty or something like that, fair enough. But, you know, we were talking about a few weeks ago when they played Adelaide, how the Wanderers are the best defensive side from set pieces in the competition. And you let Adam LaFondra score against you in the corner. It's just really inexcusable. It's such, it's so bizarre just seeing a side that only a few weeks ago we're talking about, wow, they're playing some stunning football. Just collapsed like that to the biggest rivals in the biggest stage. Yeah, yeah, and like the wonder, the first goal. You know, we just, we just spoke about how how easily they let Lafondra, you know, just just ghost in completely unmarked and header it in. 
And I don't, I have no idea what Adama Traore was doing on the first goal. I don't know. I don't know what his thought process was, where he was trying to clear that ball. That's like defending 101. I mean, comes from, from an experienced defender. Yeah, like that, yeah. you, you just, you just can't do that, especially in the big games. And we've seen Traore over the years. He's played in some really big matches. Of mm. course, he played in Europe as well. He, he knows the occasion. You should understand the occasion. And to make a mistake like that, you know, maybe from, like you just said, you talked about joking and, you know, a little bit poor throughout the matchup. You know, maybe from, from someone who's you know, barely 20 years old, you know, it, it, it can be acceptable. Um, but for, for esteemed professional like Dumb Triority, it, it really is unforgivable. And, and I think that result, especially this season, whilst the Wanderers have in the regular season be a very strong side, um, at Combank Stadium to lose two derbies in mm. Parramatta, like that's, that's a bit of an issue. And even though, you know, Marco Rodin, to his credit, has steered the Wanderers back into finals place for the first time in a very long time, he really needs to look at that, that, um, home stadium as being more of a fortress, especially against those, those bigger teams. Cause in finals, it all matters. It all matters. It, all the form goes out the window. Even though Sydney FC were an informed team coming into it, you got to make sure that that home home fortress is really strong. Yeah, and that, the we talk about the mistake at the back by Traore, but that's symptomatic of what was happening of Sydney. When you are under siege like they were, eventually you're going to make mistakes. You know, it's just. A haughty mentality that worries me, not just the moment, because how can you let a team that you feel that you're superior of to come and do that to you in your own backyard, as you say, without but you know, home but, advantage? Yeah, but you know what it is as well, is I think Rudin needs to take blame for the way he kind of tactically sets up his teams. Because the, the problem with the Wanderers' approach, in my opinion, is that everything is set up too much for like there's there's a game plan which things need to go right at certain moments so you know they have to if they score early in that game last night like you know they still took the lead things will things will kind of work out they'll be able to protect it and they'll be able to rely on the defensive side that it was almost like they didn't expect Sydney to come out like that in the second half they were almost kind of like actually you know what they'll they'll move the ball slowly we'll be able to sit in we'll be able to play on the counter-attack and later in the game we might be able to get a second goal and seal this thing but I think the reality is, is that they kind of underestimated Sydney FC's quality. I mean, look, we can say what we want about Sydney FC. They've still got quality ball players. Bratton, Burgess, Caceres. Like, these are guys who can find holes in a defense which sits deep, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, Antonis, yeah. Yeah. It's when you hire Marco Rudan, that's what, that's the team he's going to make. Cause we saw that when we saw that Western United, it's going to be a side that fights hard, that defends well, that makes it hard for you to mm-hmm. score and that they're going to work on the counter. For me, though, this side, as you mentioned, can do a bit more than that. They can be a bit more proactive than that with all the talent that they have. And, yeah, like you said, we just didn't see it. But we have been seeing it from Sydney the last few weeks. I remember the Adelaide game where Adelaide, you know, Adelaide says it's best when he presses you with mistakes. No playing around Adelaide. And it felt that way in Sydney as well because Sydney basically allowed them to do that. And I feel... With those sides, regardless of the quality, I just feel like Sydney is a lot more comfortable with the ball than the Wanderers are with the 100%. ball. And you saw that. 100%, and yeah. Wanderers didn't want the ball, and Sydney wanted the ball in that second half. And, you know, when you allow them in that stage and the pressure builds with all your fans there expecting a win, you know, it can eat you up. And we saw that happen. It was, it's a capitulation. You can't say it any other way. 
Yeah. Jake, Jake's still here. Uh, he's still on the podcast. So I haven't. <laughs> I am. I am. Jake, what, uh, yes. what, um, what, uh, yeah, what were your thoughts? Like initial thoughts? Are you, do you, what, do you agree with the stuff that we're saying? Do you disagree? Feel free to disagree if you do. Uh, I think one point that kind of stuck out to me a little bit was Antonis saying that he thought that Western Sydney were the better team, especially in the first half. I thought they were definitely a lot more competitive, but mm. looking over the full season, I think this was probably one of the worst performances I've seen from Western Sydney. Mm. It was very uh, reminding of how they played earlier in the season where, especially going forward, they really struggled to sort of build things together. Um, we, it was sort of the, the creepage days up, up top. Um I he always manages to work his we, way know, we, on the pod every single time. He's still it's here. It's not me. It's not me this time. It's he, not me. He's very poor. He's very poor. We, Sullivan Kerpich left the A-League, like, I'm pretty sure three or four months ago, and we still find a way to bring him up on podcasts. That, that's how infuriated I am by his performances here. Look, look it's, it, it's like it's like Yardell level bad. I think that's why. Yeah, it was pretty dark days, but they they were able to sort of find a you know player to fit that mm. role in Borello, but he mm. really struggled to find his way into the game. I felt, and even getting players like Leuni and Amil Fatano on the wings involved, they really struggled to get things going. Yeah, it, but and, you know, on that, I wonder, I wonder because Borello started okay, but look, we know, you know, we know naturally he is still a winger though. I know, I know he's been kind of converted to the centre forward role, but I would, I was wondering. You know, just just as you were talking, then if they had moved him to the right, say in the second half, just so you could actually get involved a little bit, maybe take on a fullback. And and I just mentioned before, Joel King for me did not look comfortable in that game at all, right? And I don't think the Wanderers, Cal Nunoff, obviously, you know, went on that run, which led to the penalty in the first half. But I don't think they really, you know, had those kind of opportunities to, you know, one on ones and things like that, where they could really get sitting on the back foot. So I don't know, was that maybe a missed opportunity for Rudin to maybe just change things up a little bit, maybe put Leuni through the middle? Um, or do, just do something different? Of course, like it could definitely be an option, but I think you also really got to give credit to Sydney because I think they made it extremely hard to get to those positions where they can hurt them. I thought, like if we mentioned a couple of times, Luke Braddon, I would think apart from Robert Mack, he was my man in the match. I thought mm. absolutely dominated the midfield, was everywhere. They pressed super well in the midfield, which you know we, we haven't really seen a lot from Sydney this year. They were very, very good in their pressing and you know especially against one of the best you know, midfields in the league in Western Sydney with you know, Newenoff and Schneiderlin, I thought they handled it very, very well and made it tough for them. You know, Leone and Borello in those roles have done very well today, but they really, oh, sorry, this season, but they made it tough for him. And I think especially, I, I think, I think it was Christian that you know, wasn't the biggest fan of Rodwell. I personally thought he was absolutely fantastic. And he, and whenever he's played this season, he's looked very, very good. So you know what I'm it is? Really no, you know what it is? Hard. It's not, it's more the things that he and Wilkinson as well. Alex Wilkinson's kind of the, the kind of king of this a little bit as well is that the things that they do to affect the game you don't you don't really notice it you know it's just kind of it's it's little things like you know making sure there's just no space for a Barella to run into or like there's there's constant you know you, you're almost like the one thing I've noticed in that second half was actually the physical side of Sydney a little bit defensively too like Barello there was no space for him like there's no you're not you're not running in behind. You're not going to get the ball and turn. Every time you get the ball, we're basically going to treat you like you're kind of like a Bruno Fornaroli. Like you're going to have your back to goal and you're going to have to play back to your midfielders. And it's simple as that. Right. And, and I to, thought, yeah. yeah. To your point, like, I didn't think that plan, that thinking was there. I think they kind of got com- comfortable with, mm. oh, yeah, Borello's there. He's going to do something every game for us and get it for us. And it's it feels a bit bizarre because you have Ekusimi Yangi on the bench, who we know has scored twice against Sydney this season. So I was expecting mm. to see him a bit earlier after they fell behind and to, I guess, try either pair him with Borello on top 
or Puparello out wide to kind of challenge them physically because Cassini Yengi can do that. And as we've seen, he yeah, can and then, score against and, Sydney. And then Rudin brought him on and put him on the left and, and Antonis started fist pumping because he just loves that. So uh. yeah, I have <laughs> said multiple times how I feel about that. Oh, I don't get it. No, nah, look, I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't get it. I don't understand it. He's, he's a centre forward. He's a centre forward. You're right. He's a centre forward. He's a centre forward. It's as simple it's as that. As day. And I, I want to talk about another substitute as well. Mm. Um, that injury to Tommy Michella, that that mm. that took a lot of sting out of Wanderers' defence. And you said that from the 46th minute, Sydney FC really started to get into the game and get into space. I think it was actually at when Tomislav Michella went off, that's when it really sort of came to fruition because... We know how physical he is. We know how good he is, you know, in the last ditch tackle. And he, and, and he really defends like, I want to say the attitude of a striker with his chest out and his heart on his sleeve. And he, and he's really sort of almost like a, a glue to the attitude of that, that sort of Western, mm. um, Sydney mentality we're seeing this season. And, and, you know, I think it also, um, points to the fact that Western Sydney Wanderers, um, unfortunately, like their squad is a decent squad and it's definitely a, a, a top six worthy squad. Defensively, look, they don't have much depth. I mean, Aiden Simmons is sort of deputizing mm. as a right back at this point. And Tom Beadling, whilst I, I respect him and, and I, I think, you know, he will be a decent A-League player in the future. He's not quite there yet. He's not quite at the, at the, um, sort of level you have to be to play in these games. And, you know, you got Lawrence Thomas in goals who can sort of get you out of jail, you know, a few times in a match, more than a few times in a match. One of the best keepers in the league, in my opinion, in fact. But um, when you get rid of someone like Tommy Marcello, I know it was due to injury and he came off in the 61st minute, but that half an hour was what changed the game for me. And, you know... Well, well it did, it did. I mean... <laughs> it, it, oh, 100%. Like... Factually, though, it did. He comes off in the 61st minute, 69th minute equalizer, 80th minute winner, right? And, and, and not and just also, that, not just that, the, the second, the second goal, the free kick. I mean, if you got both Marcella and Marcelo in that area, I mean, you know, he, they're, they're going to, one of them is going to outjump, you know, LaFondre and clear that ball. And the other thing as well, I think here is all season, we've spoken about that back two for the Wanderers. And also they kind of embody Rudin. On the pitch, like that, they, they are, you know, they're, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, you know, that they kind of, from a defensive, you know, physical mentality, which Rudin likes in his teams, they embody that really well. So, you know, and they're the two leaders. To, mm. to excuse my language, Michelle is just a tough bastard. All right. He's a tough <laughs> bastard. He's a hard man on the pitch. And, you know, you're right. He embodies the attitude that Marco Dan's tried to instill in his squad. Mm. And all of, the better games that West Sydney Wanderers have played, even when they haven't had the attacking outlets, Michelle has been, you know, one of the top three players on the pitch for either that squad or just in the entirety of that full 90. And, and when you look back to, and I, I want to think about an earlier game against our uh, Melbourne victory in the first couple of rounds in the season, that one nil where he came up and scored a goal and popped yeah. up for them. And, you know, I think whilst that is quite early on in the season, I think he had that sort of, attitude where regardless of where he was on the pitch, whether he was trying to, you know, get a goal to go ahead or equalize or from a set pace or, or whatnot or charging forward or whether he was at the back. I mean, he, he just, he's just a, you know, a competitor. He wants to win a match. And when you take someone like that out of your spine, especially as defensively, it's really, really tough to nullify a Sydney FC, which 
whilst they've been inconsistent, to their credit, they have controlled the ball in the most games they've played this season. They don't like to give up pos- possession. And like we've already touched on, their midfield is very strong. And taking someone with the physical presence of Michella out of that squad, who also really sort of inspires the rest of that team, it, it, it's a really big loss um, in, in that sort of timeline of the match. Hmm. Just uh, real quick, Robert Mack, I, I think he's been a pretty good signing. Like, and I know, it, you know, and it's also, I mean, he took that goal like brilliantly. Like, I know it's, I know it's a poor clearance and stuff, but the little shimmy inside and then in off the post, like that's, that's world class finish. And also, I really liked how he kind of, he understood the derby kind of like the occasion and stuff straight away. Like, I don't know. They didn't show it, but I swear I saw in the corner of my eye, he got into it with like a couple of the Wanderers fans, like on the side uh, or something. I don't know, but I mean, we, yeah, in a moment we're about to get into the whole, the whole <laughs> shithousery of this, this rivalry at the moment. It's just I'm insane. I'm sorry, <laughs> but this season to be in Sydney all year, you'd have to be blind, deaf and stupid not to understand that derby after this season <laughs> because it has been ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, it's, the, it's been the insane. The storylines, the narratives, like just being around it, like I'm Sydney based. And, uh, look, even, even people who are in different sporting circles talk about it as just like, like, you know, they don't even like soccer, but if, if, you know, their side of Sydney doesn't win, they're still mad about it. And, and that's a, you know, it is, there's like, there's sports hate, there's sports hate, right? But then there's real hate and then there's sports and real hate together. And that's what, (laughs) that's what the derby is. It's a culture. It's the, it's the worst versus the East. I mean, Regardless of, of, of what ball you're kicking around on a pitch, you know, wherever you're from, you want to represent that area and, and you, and you want your team to win. It's like, you know, I don't really have a, have a, a personal effect in this game, but on the streets, just like when you talk to people, they, they always look forward to this. And especially in the finals, there was a huge build up to the game. I think just around the city, uh, people were talking about it and, um, it really just was a really good talking point in general for the A-Leagues. Okay, so before we talk about uh, the off-pitch stuff, because we've got a lot uh, to cover with that, uh, Jake, anything else you wanted to add kind of on the pitch, what you saw? Yeah, so I really wanted to talk about something that I saw earlier this week in that Sydney came second this season on expected points and expected goals. Say what you want to say about the statistics, whatever, mm. but I think it clearly shows that this is a team that has underperformed this year and has shown a lot of promise, especially in key players like Robert Mack that really has turned up in this sort of end-of-season period. And yeah, good on them. Like I think it's it's it you know that that they've came good when they really needed to. They had a great result there, and it's going to be very interesting to see how they do match up against uh, Melbourne City in the semi-finals, especially since it's one-one, I believe, uh, this season um, or earlier in the season in terms of yeah. uh, results. So very very excited to see that one. Even though a lot of people probably going to be you know pretty blindly you know um, backing City to win that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, yeah, we'll get to that in the second part, uh, of the pod, but it's, but this goes back to my LaFondra point, because if they're, if they're underperforming with expected goals and expected points, well, all you need to do is bring in a clinical finisher and then you can start to hit that mark, right? That's, that's, that's usually the case. Um, so yeah, I think that's just another point which kind of supports that. So, um, yeah, good, good point there. Good point there, Jake. Um, all right. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's get into. <laughs> Let's get into the Ninkovic stuff because, um, I, yeah, I, I literally, when I first saw this, I just, I just broke out and laughed. I thought it was absolutely That is hilarious. the best advert for that match 
oh. in, a, in about eight years. I swear oh, to God, it was superb. Like it's <laughs> just exactly what was what was required. Um, after after by the way, and this is the thing. This seemed to start on the pitch straight away when the whistle went. Steve Corriger went out of his way to celebrate right in the face from a distance, but right in the face of Marco Rudin. It was, it was like, it was like, if he, he, it was almost like he was actually wanted Rudin to look him in the eye when he was doing it as well. I could almost feel that. And then obviously Ryan Grant goes over. He's trying to get in their face. Rudin sees it. Leuni gets mad. There's, there's almost a brawl starts out. It's, it's, look, we don't, you know, in sport and stuff, sometimes it's frowned upon when there's when there's little fights and scuffles. But with this game and with this derby, it it just needs it. Uh, I don't know. It, it needs it. There, it just there's moments where it's like the the sort of hatred. And for me, I was going to ask Cody. I was hoping to get Cody on the pod, um, but he's not feeling too good. But if he if he came on, I was going to ask him because he was there, like in the stands and stuff in particular. Like, is the derby's been as heated as it's ever been, or as heated as it's ever been in in recent years? Because this this feels like there's an underlying personal thing here. And particularly when we get into, obviously, George Clark from the AAP reported that Ninkovic tried to go into the Sydney change rooms after. Handshake, you know. He didn't uh, try. He went. There's a, you see the video that's come out? I actually just saw it whilst you guys were talking. I was yeah. just, just surfing, surfing Twitter and it came up. I hadn't seen it yet. And... Yeah, he, he was, he, I think he sh- shook a few of the hands and then basically a few of the Sydney staff came in and said, no, nah, get, you know, you're done, get out. Well, um, it was, it's been re- like from that post, it's been reported that, um, in the presses as well, they discussed it, mm. um, that there was some words exchanged between Korica and Inkovic, which mm. I mean, from like, from a player who's, who's basically crossed the divide. You know, as much as, you know, I've been critical of Corica Ball this season, very, very critical indeed. But, um. I think that's the first time everyone's used, anyone's used Corica Ball in, in, I mean, in I mean, circuit. it's not much. It's, 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 it's classic 442 stuff from 20 years ago. <laughs> like, I mean, Arnie Ball is called. <laughs> it's called Arnie Ball. <laughs> yeah, it's Arnie Ball, actually. That's a good point. But, um, just to get to my point, uh, it, it's good to see that you sort of have two coaches that, you know, at least, at least on the the sort of, um, I suppose, growing up side, on from opposite sides of the of the ditch, almost like Stephen Corrick mm. is a Sydney FC legend, um, and, and Marco Rudin has really embodied the that. Yeah, but I still find it funny that Marco Rudin actually played for Sydney FC in all of this. Well, well, wasn't that didn't exist? Yeah, exactly. No, I know, no, I know, I know. But it's just you know, it's just a thing to note. That's I'll put it that way. Oh well, he could have boycotted. Um, oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> That was a joke, sorry. <laughs> uh, but it was just good to see that attitude. I mean, like, clip it up, clip it up, clip up with, with Luke Bratton and getting into people's faces, clip it all up, put in a promo video, s- sell the next one. I mean, it, it's yeah. dead easy now to sell that game. Mm. And those are the games you bring new people in to the A-Leagues. It's those derby games. It's those fierce rivalries. As soon as you market those fierce rivalries, I mean, the Sydney derby doesn't really need any more marketing. No. But as soon yeah. as you get that right with, obviously, the Sydney derby, you've got several other derbies around. You know, some are soft derbies, some are, you know, a bit more intense. But as soon as you get the marketing right with those games... Obviously, obviously, the, the distance derby isn't a uh, soft derby. That's obviously pretty intense. But, yeah. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. Can't forget it. <laughs> no, just with that derby, you're like... We hear a lot of, oh, it's West versus East and stuff like that. But when you market it like that constantly, you're like, all right, it's West versus East. Like, we get it. This Ninkovic staff is real proper hate because 
Wanderers grabbing him is like an attack directly to Sydney's heart. No, but yeah, look. Yeah, no, no, I know what you're saying, but for me, the more which comes out, the more this thing plays out, this is playing out very much as this is clearly a Steve Corrier versus Milos Ninkovic problem. Yeah, uh, it's it, whatever ha- why, whatever's though, happened here, he, yeah. He yeah. is a club legend. Like, even if it wasn't it, it hurts the supporters. It's not, oh, Jack Rodwell was there for a year, all oh, grab him. This guy mm-hmm. lived and breathed Sydney. This guy was meant to be at Sydney FC for years after coaching and being the fabric of the club. And not only did they take him, he was there doing the uh, fuck off Sydney FC chart with the RBB. He was before, before he didn't even play a game. He hadn't yeah, even played he was yet. always poking I mean, and, po- and we were at the first derby this year, and you could feel the hate. You know, I was engrossed in it. So the, the courage of Ninkovic this. to actually walk in that dressing room to try and shake hands. Yeah, but you know. Like, so so here's how it's so stupidity. Yeah. It's stupidity mixed it's with not stupidity. It's not stupidity. <laughs> I think it is though, mates, but it is Antonis. It's not though. Man. He played with those guys. At the end of the day, these are his hang mates. on a minute. Hang on a minute. But hang on a minute. Second, hang give on. me two seconds. Let me finish before you cut me off, please. <laughs> because they all actually shook his hands. They all shook his hands. No, I get that. You know, they are at the end of the day. They're his mates, and when they're done with football, they are just players that used to play together. The issue is not where it is. And, but I love how the coach is like, no, we're not having you in here. And you could see none of the players did anything. They just let him be marched out because you're not going to get in the way of that. No, I understand. So, but here's how, and I'm not, I'm not reporting anything. I'm not saying this will happen. But when I, when I, when I reflect back and you think about how this has probably played out, it's probably something like this. So, you know, they, they go in preseason, whatever. They talk about his contract situation. I think Sydney are trying to basically kind of, you know, prepare for, well, try and kind of dev- not devalue him as an asset, but almost like try and prepare him and transition him into a different role where they don't have to feel obliged to give him all this game time and stuff and they can play someone else, right? Like a Max Burgess, for example. Just quickly now, with that. Just quickly and now, with and now, that. Uh, uh, and now you're going to cut me off? No, no you, <laughs> missed the, you, you missed the point about this because it wasn't just that. They basically told him, if you don't get your citizenship, you're not playing. You're not a player. It, it was a, it, it was a salary Yeah, I know. So I'm going to get, yeah, yeah I know, I know. But that's not the main point I'm try, trying to make here. I get that. But what I'm trying to say is, for me, I think Steve Corrigan probably came from a point of view of, why wouldn't you do this? Why wouldn't you play for us? This is Sydney FC. And you can understand him saying something like that, if he did say that, because he's a Sydney FC legend as a player as well, right? So for him, the way he sees it, you've been at this club for so long. Like you, how, how can you do this? Like this is, this is how, like he just doesn't get it. He can't fathom it, right? Then, you go to the Wanderers. You go to the Wanderers, right? Like, <laughs> you know, it's not like he went to Melbourne City. You know, he went to the Wanderers, right? And, like, I just, I get what you're saying, Antonis. Like, yeah, he's got mates there. He played with them for many years. They won titles. I get that. But when you've, like, you've just, you've just, they've just beaten you and stuff. Like, it's, Corrigan, the last person he wants to see is you in that dressing room. That's the last thing he wants to see. He, he, he's with his players. He, he wants to enjoy the moment. And you've come in after all this history. Like I feel like he's kind of entitled to tell him to 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 oh, get lost. To be absolutely, honest, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. he is. But I'm I'm just saying the beef with Ninkovic is not with player X and player Z. The beef yeah, is with yeah, the yeah, club. Yeah, no, so I agree. With it's yeah. two different perspectives, and I can totally see why he went in and congratulated them. I can see why the players accepted it, but I can also see why Corica. Or probably made a comment that upset him because he looked quite upset when he was being walked out. Yeah, but then, and but, he didn't look mm. like a man that got told, "Oh, please walk out." He looked like a man saying, "All right, let's get you out of here." If I if I can mm. uh, add to that as well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna just a. This is pretty much 
speculative, but it's how I interpret it. It's like Corica played for Sydney FC. He was woven into the coaching staff, made his way up to a head coach. Now, uh, from what we know about the negotiations between Ninkovic and Sydney FC and that transfer over to the other side, we know that that citizenship was a part of that process to get Ninkovic into the same sort of mode as Corica was, you know, or, or, you know, 15 years ago now, right? Uh, that that's that's how I interpret it, and that's a personal interpretation. So, in, in my opinion, I, I think that maybe Corica sees it as a little bit. First off, it's a derby. It's a little bit sacrilegious to walk into an opposing dressing room and try and shake hands when, when, when you know this is the game. This is the game you get up for, regardless, re- regardless of, of uh, you know. It's okay, I'll, po- I'll pose this question: Would he have done that if they won? I'd no. say so. No, I don't think. Are so. you serious? Like. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Like, it's a lot harder to I go think, I think if he had done that, if they won, he would get to the first person handshake and then straight away be told yeah, to get yeah, lost. Yeah, exactly. I, I think, think he would so. have got like, two feet in the dressing room. Are you kidding he, me? Ninkovic comes across as a guy who is very classy despite all yeah, the things yeah. that's happened with him. Yeah. So I can see him, if he's the bigger man when they lose, and again, I think if they win, he doesn't make it through the door. But I reckon he would have tried. We probably don't hear about it, but he would have tried. And, you know, I'm not going to begrudge him for that but i am going to say i love it and it's going to only add to it i can see both sides of it but you know as i mentioned ninkovic has nothing wrong with these players it's the club and corica forget about it being a sydney legend i don't even think it's a club i think it's steve corica specifically that's what i'm saying he's the representative of the club he is the club's decision and at the end of the day it doesn't matter that corica is a sydney legend and all that stuff he is the sydney coach and when his player does that to him, he feels attacked. I understand, and that's why he reacts that way. But I can also see the other side, which is what I'm getting at. Jake, what do you think of this whole this whole chaos that we're talking about? I just think it was a bit weird, personally. Um, usually, what you do after a game is you congratulate them, shake hands on the pitch. You, yeah. you don't go that, straight that, to I the know, dressing That's the other thing, which is... That's, yeah, anyway. the, 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 that's what's really confusing about this whole scenario, and it's another layer when you consider... You know, he's, you know, considered Judas, you know, by Sydney, mm. you know, so it, it's a, it's extremely weird. I know he's a classy guy and he probably meant good intentions by it, but it was just a very, very strange happening. And yeah, I, I just, I just don't really get it. It's just a very mm. weird, but I absolutely love it. It was, it was, it was peak scene, scene, you know, just you know, get, get, getting escorted See, out by two, two yeah. staffers. See, what, what we're forgetting here is Antonis understands this stuff because he's, you know, he, obviously with his Greek background and stuff, this happens on an every week basis, right? So you, don't, you don't walk, you don't walk into it. And if a player did that switch, like, you, you have to get out of the stadium, not the dressing room. But, but here's the thing. But here's, I just love how they shared yeah. the video as well. I love how they shared the video. Oh, oh, yeah, no, 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 no. no it's no, great marketing. Yeah. Uh, to be 100%. fair, it's good TV. It's good marketing, yeah. It's, it's, good, it's good marketing. It's good TV. It adds more spice. Mm. And, you know, when you watch this game, even if it's the first time you've maybe watched the A-League this season, um, you get excited for the next one after the, all that. It's yes. a story. It's a story. You know, exactly. story sell. Exactly. Mm. But, like, what's what's interesting, though, is Corriga... So, in, in George Clark's report on this, Corriga's comment... One of his comments, he said, we, we have issues with him, obviously, but that's between me and him. So, like, I don't even... Start, that's, like, a contradicting statement because you're saying that... We, so what do you mean? We as a squad? Like, I don't understand, but have you Remember, he's, he's Mr. Sydney, remember, Christian? You gotta, he, he, no, 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 I get that, I get that. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is, if I'm like, if I'm like Luke Bratton and I'm good mates with, you know, Milos Ninkovic and stuff, and I see that, I'm like, well, hang on a minute. Is he saying that I have an issue with Ninkovic or is it like, it's, 
Yeah, I, it's a little think, bit. I think the we is like we as in the club and the supporters and the representation of Sydney FC. And I think but the he players would like, come into that, wouldn't they? I think I think he feels like we I'll deal with that, and that's why he decided to just say, "No, nah, what are you doing in here? See you later." As no, being that, a coach, yeah, yeah. But what I, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is, is Steve Corrigan now going to talk to his own players and be like, "What, what the hell are you doing? Why are you shaking hands with the enemy?" Like, I don't know. After a win like that, I don't think it's going to come no, into no, that. I, guess. I think he saw that, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm not having any of that. You spent all your time doing this, doing that." See you later. And, you know, at that moment, you know, passion speaking, I'm sure if he looks back at it, it's like, yeah, I probably shouldn't be talking about all these thousands of members and all my players, but, you know, things happen. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, Let's do, yeah, we need to address it. So about five minutes or so, Um, just on the on the boycott um, from the Cove, the, I guess, the commentary around the RBB showing up and the numbers that they did. And I guess just generally this week as well, if, if anyone wanted to add some comment about the, about the, the more grand finals commentary, which is, which is sparked up again this week. Me and Antonis said it. I think, I don't know if we said it on a pod or maybe we were just saying this off air, Antonis, a few weeks back, but we said like this was always, it wasn't going to happen on grand final day. Suddenly this was going to come up. It was always going to come up before that and it was going to re, reignite again. So anyone here take it away. What, what are your thoughts? Make on, yeah. A point about this. Yeah. I'm not going to be, it has been a mess. The way there yeah. is no communication between clubs and supporters that, yep, we're going to do this. We're all going to follow through. So I'm not going to begrudge any individual supporter for the choice they make to go, mm. not to go. I do feel though that after the Cove makes that move, the RBB probably should as well, but I'm not going to get into all of that. Yeah. I just want to say that when you as a league, as the APL start treating your fans as customers don't get upset when they start acting like customers because football supporters are not logical. Your team might lose four or five games. You're going to be there like an idiot to watch them again to give your money. Mm. That's a supporter mentality, not a fan mentality. If you start treating them like a customer, they'll start treating you as someone that sells them a product. And if you sell them a product they don't want, a product you didn't ask them about, guess what? They're not going to buy your product. So don't be upset. That's that's what's happening to us right now. This is how I see it. I'm not going to begrudge anyone for making the choice or for turning away from the mm-hmm. choice. This is where I stand. I've got another point a bit later. Well, look, I think I'll let you chime in. Look, I do, uh, and look, I might be putting my neck on the line here, um, but I do think I understand why the RBB turned up and why that. Look, you got you have to understand. This, this is a club which has, has been through the war. They, you know, they had they had. There's a massive club who went through eight years of being nomads, right? So you can understand why they've turned up stuff like that. Now, the problem is for them, the problem is for them as a supporter group stuff is that it does look like when you do this on the week that, you know, Townsend did the interview they did and, and, and all this stuff is happening. The, the reality is people are going to put, you know, two and two together and start saying, you know, and, and that's the word which keeps getting used is your scabs and all this sort of stuff. And I don't, you know, I don't fully agree with that, of course, you know, and, and I understand why, why they turned up and I understand that point of view, but I also understand the cove side of things. And I think that's what we're all saying here. We understand both sides. Um, and I think, but I think what we're really all saying here is that the, the bottom line is, is that this decision just continues to divide the league. It continues to just be a disaster. I mean, that there, there, there's no real other way of, of putting it. Well, if I could I just. Yeah, you go, you go. Jack, Jack, yeah. Uh, Jack, Jack. Um, I, I just wanted to touch on two things. You, you said it just there, the division. And I also want to touch on the, 
the um the trading fans like customers. And and Tonus is completely right in saying that because it's not like other sports in Australia. There are other options out there. There are other credible options out there. I mean, you can go down to your, your local football or you can stay up on European football, which we know the, the, the quality surpasses the A-League. It's not, it's not if, ends, or buts. It, it, there's a clear difference. And, you know, really, when you talk about the fans of the A-League in the modern era, you know, a lot of them have, have stuck on and a lot, of, a lot of people have maybe come into the fandom in the last couple of years. Every which way you look at it, you know, I feel like as fans, you, you always feel a little bit of sort of custodianship or ownership over the league. And, um, when that sort of, um, when that sort of, I suppose, aspect of, of your love for a particular club or your just love for the sport and, and how you want it to develop in your own country domestically is, is, is misused. I mean, we, we all know the emotions because we're, at heart, we're all football fans. In terms of the, the division with the, the boy, the, the, the boycotting and that sort of stuff, I think that everyone has the right to, to, um, to protest, everyone has the right to to act as they as, as they like in that situation. Um, the RBB obviously went to the game, and I'm completely fine with it. I, I don't have any problem, and and I won't have any problem with any supporter group going on Grand Final Day. It, it's your prerogative. Mm. I don't I don't think that it, it it should be this thing where if you're not on one side, you're the enemy. Because if we start if you start fighting amongst yourselves, especially as a supporter base, and and, and truly, and this is what the APL board didn't understand when making these decisions, we are the custodians of the league. You start having this adversarial relationship within circles, that's that's when the fragility of the A-League is really on show. And that's the point I want to get across. I think everyone has the right to protest and boycott to express their opinions, but at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. And I want to say this, whilst they, the APL got it really, really wrong, I, I genuinely believe that most people in those rooms want the same thing as we do. They just got it really, really wrong and mis and completely miscommunicated with the league and ignored a lot of underlying emotions. So that's all I really want to say on the matter. I just I want to see football fans and and also this goes to the APL board. This is mentioned the APL board. We have to work together on this. No one side can make decisions wholeheartedly. There has to be consultation. There has to be transparency and and there has to be constant you know, updates to fan groups, to to club owners, right down the football pyramid, because the ripples at the top really shake the foundations at the bottom. I just want to turn on to that because it, I just find it very, very upsetting. Because I'm not going to begrudge anyone for travelling to Sydney. I would love for everyone to travel to Sydney, mm, but it's mm. not reasonable in the year 2023 that everything's more expensive. People are struggling to expect that. Oh, I've used this example of there that, you know, every club has a few hundred idiots like myself that the game can be at 2 a.m. in the morning. You might be on a 10-game losing run, but we're going to find a way to get there. We're going to watch it. We're going to go and be depressed for another week, and we'll do it again the week after. These people will be at the grand final. That's not a problem. What you are robbing is 50,000 people, whatever your local stadium fits, to fill that stadium. You are robbing those kids that are playing there, week in, week out, watching the heroes. You're robbing kids. I'll, I'll use Adelaide as an example because we're from, I'm from Adelaide. You're robbing them watching Socceroo, Craig Woodwin at his home ground, Nestor Enricunda, that he was a junior footballer a couple of years ago. You could be in that position in two years yourself. That's who hurts the most, not us. 
That's what upsets me the most. And this is what really rubs me the wrong way that I'm sure some of us have seen the offsiders clip from today where poor Simon Hill was subjected to the stupidity, because there's no other way I can find mm. to say this, mm. of Kelly Underwood and Roy Masters or whatever his name is. They were saying, oh, but why are the Sydney fans protesting? It's coming to Sydney, isn't it? Like, you're missing the whole point. Just yeah. because the Well, that's Sydney just a complete lack of understanding of, of the league. And it's, yeah. That yeah, it's yeah. something bigger than them. It's not a Sydney problem. It's a league problem. And Simon Hill was very calm, much calmer than I'm right now, <laughs> explaining it, because Simon Hill is a bigger man than me, yeah. and just trying to explain, it's not a Sydney league. This, anywhere else in the world, would have gotten a lot more uglier than it's gotten here. Mm. But here, you even have an inkling of a protest, and suddenly you're treated like a hooligan, you're not wanted, you're being emotional. You know. So the only solution, the only solution is, you don't want to listen to me? I'm just going to walk away. So I'm not going to begrudge anyone for walking away. I'm not going to begrudge anyone for going because this is what they love. But you're between a rock and a hard place and sometimes you just have to choose. Yeah, it, it's uh, yeah, a problem uh, yeah. that needs to be solved. It's a problem that needs to be solved and it needs to be solved quick. And Antonis, again, well, I, I think for a large part, we we all uh, agree on, on, you know, the, the, um, the problem itself. And, um, you know, it, it takes... It, it takes for the powers that do control the strings of the game. They need to make, they need to rebuild that relationship now. They need to rebuild it. And, um, yeah, again, with the boycott, I don't begrudge anyone. I completely agree with Antonis, you know, um, the, the, you can't really blame anyone for, for cu- going to a game or, or staying home. Yeah. Um, I think what people, I think you need to understand about the boycott, the, the boycotting side of it is that when, you know, there's also this feeling that the decision was made and there was a feeling that, oh, after like a few months, the angle will die down and then it's kind of over. And I think what we're finding out here is that club fans and A-League supporters are smarter than that. I think that's, that's kind of what we're finding out and that they can kind of see that was the APL's hope. And now they're kind of coming, you know, saying, well, actually, you know, we're not we're not going to be quiet about it, and and I think it's going to be interesting because I I don't know if the APL expected that. You know, I can't comment on that, but um, you know, if if they didn't, well, yeah, they do have they do have a little bit of a problem. Antonis, uh, anything you want to add? And then Jake, I want to see if you if you want to add in your two cents as well. <laughs> yeah, just quickly with that because you make a good point that oh they're still angry. Why are we angry? They talk about making a new tradition. How old is this league? You know, it's a couple of decades old. This, these are the people that started watching this league growing up. And finally, this tradition is being built. The one, the one tradition we have. And you pull the rug underneath it without considering it. That's why people are upset. That's why people continue being upset. Because the one thing, everyone's had a big day. It's ended right. It's ended wrong for some people. Everyone has had a big day for these teams that's been around. Sydney subsides. Central Coast, Newcastle, Adelaide, the Melbourne sites, further has had the big days. Everyone knows how it feels, and now you've robbed everyone from it without considering them for five cents on the dollar. And that's why this hurts, and that's why this why this will continue to hurt. And that's me done. <laughs> well, if you actually, funnily enough, if you want to hear me 
Antonis, Jack, talk about this a bit more. You can actually go all the way back, and the day that the grand finals decision was announced, we, yeah. we released a pod that night. And I'm, I'm much less about. diplomatic on that podcast, so if you don't, yeah, like, no, if you, yeah, if we you all, don't yeah, like, yeah, I actually <laughs> felt quite diplomatic on that podcast. I was able to, con- I guess, I you know, regulate myself. <laughs> yeah, you, you two, you two, let your let your um your inner fan side come out, which is which is understandable. But uh, Jake, anything uh, anything you want to want to add before we go to a break? I think it's positive to, well, no, important to have a positive sort of thing and say, hey, us as fan groups, we need to come together. You know, there's a lot of you know, infighting on soccer Twitter. I think as we sort of previously yeah. mentioned, it's very important. We, you know, we realize individuals here aren't the problem. It's the systemic problem of the APL and their decision. It's important to not forget that and come together. I know we can be upset about this and that, this and that, but it's very important to sort of remember the central problem here to this. So that's my sort of little wrap up. Yeah. A very, yeah. very good point, boys. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. That's a that's a good that's a good point uh, there. I think yeah, it is important for the supporter groups to 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 get yeah aligned with with what they want to do and and you know and and more importantly, let's just let's just figure this thing out you know as, as, as much as possible. Anyway, if we can, uh, all right, let's uh, let's take a break. When we come back, uh, we're gonna talk Adelaide Wellington and uh, preview uh, the semis. Okay, so along with Sydney, Adelaide United are through. Uh, to the semi-finals, they'll take on the Mariners and uh, a pretty comfortable two-nil win against the Knicks on on Friday night. Antonis was there, uh, spoke to the coaches afterwards. Um, Antonis, we'll leave with you. What um, yeah, initial thoughts on the game? What you saw? What are you concerned about? Uh, what do you what do you think heading into the semis? Both teams. Yeah, entering that game, uh, it's being there. I don't know. It didn't feel quite as comfortable. But maybe because of Adelaide United's record going in it, maybe because of the team selection, because Adelaide United actually fielded three players that had barely played any games for it in season 2022-23. So, for example, someone like George Blackwood's been out for more than half a season. We had um, Nick Ansel, who has been recovering from his Achilles injury. And also Jay Barnett, who's been at the club for a couple of minutes start on Friday night. So that was a bit of mm. a surprise. Um, but yeah, after Craig Woodward opened the scoring, you felt like, all right, it's a bit more comfortable here. Wellington had its chance late in the half, but then again, Nestor Inokunda comes on, does Nestor Inokunda things. And yeah, Kazem Elliott had a nightmare. And you get out of it with a 2-0 win heading into the Central Coast, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit later. Yeah, should we just well, take a moment, um, for, for Lucas Moragas? Or should we, no? Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna take a moment. I'm gonna take yeah. a moment for, for Lucas Moragas because he is on loan and he's getting, he's <laughs> got hung out to dry, unfortunately. It's something, um, um, Ufuk Tale mentioned after the game, especially about Goodwin cutting in. He actually seemed quite upset. Um, he got asked, um, for example, Callum Elliott had a bad night getting mm. turned inside out by Goodwin a couple of times. And Tale said information was there available for the players. We've talked about how Goodwin likes to cut in, only to cut back out. And you can't really do much as a coach. You can present information to players, but if that's um, um, if, if you, you think do? if you think I'm going to look into that, I 100% am. This has been a a the just a discombobulation, just a disaster. Wellington, this, this end of the season, absolute disaster. I'm sorry, we have to go there. They. That's, they had two shots on target on Friday. I mean, I'm sorry, but, you know, when you got like guys like Kryev, Zavada, you know, even Sass has had his moments oh, at times. Okay. Like, why is Costa Barbarossa starting that game 
I, I don't get it. I, I really especially don't... over Kryev too. Especially over yeah. Kryev. I mean, mm. I mean, I get. Yeah, but even I, Kry- I think... yeah, look, but even Kryev, he hasn't. His second half of the season hasn't been great, to be honest. No, no, you're you're right, but he's a better option than Costa Barbarouz. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, he's barely like started a game all season, and, and you know, in my opinion, has been one of Wellington's worst players, especially considering. Um, you know, the way he came back to the club and being a New Zealand national, I expected a lot more of him. And um, I understand sort of what he was trying to do. I think that he identified, you know, the the how strong the wingers were for, for Adelaide, as as we've seen throughout most of the season. And maybe having Costa Barbarossa adds a little bit of pace, which you can maybe use in a defensive mode, but he's never done that in his entire career. It, and, to, and to try that in an in a elimination final really... And and not to put your your best eleven out there. I mean, you know, I, we're gonna. You guys are obviously gonna talk about the Adelaide lineup more, but I want to talk about the Phoenix lineup. You know, dis, disregarding the form leading up to this game, in an elimination final, that's where you play your best eleven, regardless. Mm. You know, you, you can have your you can have your tactics, you can you can have all your analytics, but um, in an elimination final, all that matters is those eleven who start the game and, and your bench options. And regardless of what the tactics you're playing, you want to play your best players in those games. Because when the tactics go to crap, when the team's nullified what you're trying to do in attack and defense, it's the quality that will get you closer to a victory. And I think that Wellington actually squandered that opportunity because I'm sure you guys are talking about it, but the Adelaide lineup was certainly yeah. not their strongest. I was strong. about to say Adelaide didn't really start and, its stronger and, lineup either. And yeah, yeah exactly. I, I think it, and Adelaide, you know, as a whole, have a stronger team that, than Wellington and, and come into, even though they came off a really, really poor loss and a couple of, um, dodgy draws coming into the, to the finals. Uh, I mean, that over the, over the season, they've been a little bit more consistent than, than Wellington. This is the game to, to chuck your, your cryovs on there from the start. Even, even you know, if you wanted to try something new, I, I wouldn't been adverse to seeing someone like a, a, a Lewis introduced. You know, but well, I don't think Lewis, I don't think Clayton Lewis. Uh, I think that's also a situation where he seems to be on the way out. So yeah, yeah, yeah. but like it, it's it, just it an just... awkward. It's a very awkward situation for Wellington at the moment. You can see why their season has yeah. gone. Well, I wouldn't even say awkward. I honestly think it's a it's, it's a disaster. That, like, that... Can I just say, like, I actually thought to start off the game it was actually working out quite well for them. Mm. Adelaide's new look midfield wasn't really. It was standing up fine defensively, but it wasn't really advancing the ball. Well, yeah, it's going to stand up fine defensively when you play three defensive midfielders. They like... had a couple of promising <laughs> counter attacks. And I'll get about the yeah. defensive midfielders a bit later. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a weird spot to try out a completely new thing. And it didn't work out straight from the beginning. Wellington had a couple of good counterattacks. And as we saw with the Central Coast a week before, if you start scoring against Adelaide, you know, Adelaide can score, but they can easily be scored against. And I think that's what they back themselves to do. And it didn't really yeah. work today. Well, that's what I mean. So, like, if I was a Wellington fan coming out of that, I'm thinking, okay, they didn't play well, Adelaide, and they had to rely on their talisman to score twice to really dig them out of the hole, and we barely laid a glove on them. And, you know, let's not forget, they've probably got one of, if not the most, maybe second to LaFondra as, like, clinical strikers in the league. That guy gets a chance. He'll bury it, Zavada, right? And they just, it was almost like, it was just like, uh, you know, like, do you guys realize this is elimination final? Do, do you get that? Like, I don't, I don't understand, right? And, and I, I just didn't get that. It just screamed to me, like, Antonis, you said just before about how he described Elliot. 
like for me when when a when a coach comes out and he says something like that where it's like you know you know the information was there almost kind of saying like yeah well you know that dickhead didn't didn't <laughs> didn't, no, didn't, didn't pick remember, up on it. This isn't just a coach. This is a coach like on his last mic drop before. Like this no, is, but this is exactly what I'm saying. But what else? But what else has happened man. behind closed doors in yeah. the last few weeks? Like what? Like mm-hmm. for me, this isn't this isn't a situation. And and Wellington fans, they can they can say as much as they want. But for me, I do not see this as a situation as this is a nice parting of ways. We go our separate ways. Thanks for all the work, Uffy. It, it, I think no, no. Listen, I think it's of course a bit like that. But I also think this past month. The got like the amount of goals they're conceding. Like this is not a Talley team. This is just it's it's a complete complete drop off. It's it's a bit of like I do think it's a nice farewell because this guy has just sacrificed so much for them. There's two COVID seasons yeah, as well, yeah, no, and true. I feel yeah. like everyone there is kind of a little bit burnt out, and especially after all this has come out publicly that he's leaving, players are leaving. It's very easy to kind of just. Oh, not completely check out, but to kind of have your mind elsewhere. I know it's a bit of a yeah, what I'm saying. What I'm kind of say. yeah, but what I'm kind of getting at is if you realize after 15 minutes, like holy shit, Adelaide aren't actually on it tonight. Like, and all right, we we've got a chance. We've got a chance to actually extend our season another two games and actually try and finish this era off as best and, as and we can. And importantly, bring a final back to New Zealand as well. Like, that's, yeah, that, yeah. that's got to be that if that wasn't at the forefront of those players' mind, I, I know they're all not New Zealand nationals, but they are the only team in the league currently that is, you know, across a genuine sea. You know, like, it, it, it's the biggest away day for most teams. But just put it that way. You know, you know maybe the Eastern Seaboard has it a bit easier, but still, you've got to get passports ready. You've got to go through customs to go over there. What an mm. advantage that is to have. And mm. to, I think this was Phoenix's in the last couple of years. Whilst they've had really good players, like, you know, players like the Villa come through the club when they, they were making finals and were making the top six. I still think that when I saw Adelaide not really come off, come out of the blocks, this was their best opportunity to take a finals game back to New Zealand. So I, correct me if I'm wrong. But I don't think there's been a finals game in New Zealand in the history of the A-Leagues. That's how important it is. I think there has. I think that, that has. has. But but it, we're not listen, listen, for people listening, if you're a Wellington fan as well, we don't have the stats in front of us, please don't, you know, please don't come and kill so, us in the I, comments. I, All look, right. I, I personally <laughs> haven't seen a finals game in New Zealand. That's probably what I should say, to correct myself. Yeah. And I still think that even, you know, being from Australia, mainly in Australia, I don't I, I still think that's a really point of difference and, and something that should have put an added importance on this game and it it, it just didn't work out. And you know, I feel sorry for Phoenix fans at the end of the day. Uh, finally, the New Zealand would be special, especially after those COVID years, because mm. these fans have really been robbed of a couple of years of their side, it feels like. I'm just going to go back to the Adelaide midfield, because Adelaide's midfield really, really, and throughout the season, and there was a couple of small solutions for it, a real lack of like, positive ball-advancing midfield players. And that kind of came to the forefront after Johnny Yo, um, his back injury re-flamed, uh, re-came out again. Sorry, sorry, sorry had- to interject, Antonis. There, there has yeah. been quite a few, uh, finals games in Wellington. So, uh, yeah. Jack, poor from you. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, 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 just, it's all right. I'm getting fired in the morning. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Anyways, I, yeah, I you are. Um, Johnny Yo's out, Zach Clough's out. These are two of Adelaide's more advanced. Mm, midfield mm. players. Then you had Ethan Allegic who saw the bench 
And the game started, the game kicked off with Carvid playing two out-and-out sixes in Jay Barnett and Isaias, with Barnett even moving to higher areas where he's not used to. And Louis Dorigo, who is a great six, but Carvid sees more as an eight. And again, I don't know if this is a reaction to getting completely battered in transition by the Central Coast mm. and overcorrecting. But, it's but Wellington going, are a completely different team. Like. It's completely different, but, you know, it's Carl has been conservative in selection in the past. Yeah. So it doesn't completely shock me. It was a brave call to play three players who barely played any football for the club this year to start them. I didn't expect that. But midfield selection-wise, yeah, it was a very safe call. It's going to be interesting to see with the Mariners game now, United's lost 4-0 4-1 in two games. If he sticks with his midfield, because this was the first clean sheet in a while, I don't know if he would like to continue that, but then your first games are home. Are you going to go out at home and get the advance before you got the away leg? Mm-hmm. Something to consider. But yeah, United wasn't at its best, but it just did enough to contain Wellington and just let Craig Goodwin and Nestor and Rukunda do what they do best. Do their thing, yeah. Uh, their home yeah. ground. Yeah, that's what uh, it was. Some yeah. individual brilliance and containment. Well, I, I just, I don't understand the, the striking thing, the striker uh, selection I don't get at all. Uh, Blackwood, look, we, for me, he's just not cut, cut to start in games like this. I can understand. That. I can, look, you no, know. But listen, Antonis, listen, yeah. listen. I, look, I get it, right? He's got more experience than Luki Ivanovic and Ibasuki wasn't probably 100% fit to start. But that, that's, that's how I, that's how I perceive yeah. how he made that decision. But, Luki Ivanovic mm-hmm. is like, he's, it's an X factor. It's something different. You're playing mm-hmm. against a team who's probably going to sit back and defend as, you know, you need maybe someone who can break the line mm-hmm. and stuff. Like, ju- yeah. Uh, I, I fully agree with you and I can see your argument. I just think he decided to go with Blackwood because coming off the bench against the Mariners the week before, Blackwood was by far United's most positive player in that game. And he's very much maligned. Yeah, but that's also overreacting yeah. the one performance. I don't. Yeah, it's overreacting in one performance, but it wasn't just a performance. It was an awful performance from United. So I can see why he decided to shake it up a bit. Yeah. And like I said, I'm not George Blackwood's biggest fan. He's an okay squad player. And coming into finals, you know, it's Carl Beard showing them, oh, yeah, we've got a spot for you. We trust you as a player. And everyone's got their opinions. I would have liked to see the look at Jovanovic out there, but I'm not going to go and say, oh, I can't believe this was happening because he was one of the only players that showed a spark the week before. And after a performance like that, you need someone hungry to play. But and, and but the other one I don't get is is Alex Popovich's sudden... You know, non-involvement in at Adelaide United. Hasn't been I, sudden though. It hasn't been sudden. It's been happening for a while. Like no, 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 no. I get no, no. Yeah, but yeah, this yeah. is what I'm talking about. I'm bringing this up now because it's it's becoming more prominent. So uh, what what I don't get is Adelaide. Um, they're starting to revert. That for me, they're starting to revert back to their early season form of being very stale in possession and kind of relying on their moments of brilliance, which which they did. That was exactly kind of how Friday played out. And Antonis is right. They were more solid defensively though, so you have to give them credit for that. Although. You know, I do think as well, Wellington. Yeah, you know, that there's a bit of that. But my point is, like, if you watch when, like, you've got Ansel and Warland out there, and even Barr, who's, you know, been a sole defender, but he's not, and, you know, he, even he'll probably admit he's not the best player kind of distributing and on the ball. Alex Popovich does that as good as probably by far the best yeah, of, of, of any Adelaide United defender. And in a game like that, where you're going to have 
probably more of the ball. You're going to be able to potentially, you know, pin Wellington in. I just think you can have Popovich in there to be more expansive with his passing, you know, break lines and then kind of go from there. But look, at the end of the day, we can, we can talk about selections all we want. Adelaide got the job done and, and they're through. Um, and yeah, just another kind of a few more highlights on there with the Nesta for the Nesta kind of, uh, montage for the, uh, for, for all those European clubs that are, that are interested in him. So, so there you go. Um, Jake, what, uh, what about any, any, so it's been pointed out to me that, that Jake, and it's true that Jake's got all the statistical kind of quirks and nuances. So, so, so let's hear it. What's, what, 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 uh, what kind of stood out from Friday? Yeah, he's got some pressure here for the. I don't have any specific <laughs> statistics. Yeah, that's on it. We're going to make this a segment. If if you, if you get this right, we're making this a segment. Yeah. <laughs> Professor Jack Alou on the pod. Yes, I'll, I'll try my best in the future. But I, I think a couple notes I really made on this game was Wellington's approach really reminded me of Sydney's in a couple of weeks ago, where they've really tried to sit back and frustrate Adelaide as they've proven mm. to be pretty inefficient. I think that's producing. a blueprint. For, uh, yeah, when you're playing oh, 100%. Uh, and, and for the past couple of weeks, Adelaide have struggled against these lineups. However, I think there was a clear weakness that Adelaide were able to spot in Callan Elliott's sorry, aerial ability, which led to Craig Goodwin's first goal. And I think another thing that probably has to be credited from Vier, you know, with his manager or whatnot. I think he made a very, very good decision bringing Nestri a lot earlier than he did in the Sydney game. In both scenarios, they were 1-0 up, and they were a bit too late. In the Sydney game, he brought on 83rd minute. This yeah. one, 63rd minute, and that came after it's been a rising goal. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure Antonis, yeah, Antonis can chip in. One thing I've got to say about Nestor, I agree that 83rd is way too late, especially mm-hmm. when you're chasing a winner. What you should never, ever, ever, ever do at Hindmarsh is bring him on at the halftime break because... Genuinely, when this kid comes on, he gets the reaction of a goal being scored. His substitution alone is a momentum swing. And if you can get the whole crowd just to get up and garment up and about about this kid, a high marsh, trust me, from someone who's been going there for the last 13 years, it makes a difference. You know, yeah. how you are on top of the pitch, it makes a difference. Well, so it, never it's... waste him on the 45th minute, bring him on the 50th minute if you want to do a half time. Let, let everyone come back to their seat. Let this be a momentum swing because it genuinely is one. It, it, it's, it's absolutely no coincidence that almost immediately after he's brought on, on a corner, he's won a ball that he had absolutely no right to win, drives past their whole defense, lays it off to Craig Goodwin, bang, penalty, 2 0, largely game over. Pe- terrible. Simple as that. Like, I don't know, I don't know what Callan is doing he, at he's, all. He's, 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 he's anyway. just immense. Like, he's just, he's an unstoppable force. I, I genuinely, like, he's had some games where you could question his sort of positional sense and his decision-making mm, when mm. he's had the ball at his feet or whether it's defensively. But in terms of his physical gifts and and how he basically... He's like a shot in the arm to, to the entire team. Like, that's a that's a credit to... He's like a drug, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, I mean, of course he's got immense phys- like physical, physiological you know, capabilities. He's so quick. Like, mm. his agility is... Amazing. I mean, just the. Uh, I want to talk about something. The vertical leap for someone of his size is also crazy. Like he, he can. I reckon he, if he gets the fitness right, he's still developing. Obviously, he's he's still a teenager. He could be the height he is now and compete with six two, six foot three, like center backs. Like that's that's there. Yeah, that's just as a like a physical specimen. But when you combine that with his dribbling ability and his confidence. So mm. early on, mm. like he doesn't settle. Like 
And, and, and you always compare them. I'm going to compare them based on skill, but the last one we saw was Grandqual. I'm not comparing. Oh my god, here we go. No, no, you, no, you've I done this before. Go. You've done this shit before on this podcast. <laughs> I just, I just want to say, um, whilst they're both in in that when they were playing in the A League, served a similar role on 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 their teams as as a shot in the arm in the second half to to go get a result. What Nestor um has is. I think Quoll has more of a settling period than Nesta. He's immediately at the blocks and goes at it. And he yeah, shows, yeah, yeah. he yeah. has shows no no signs yeah. of pulling out of challenges, one-on-one duels. He's he's really just to have that sort of mental dexterity to be on it as soon as he enters that field it is really just a credit to to him at, at such, a, such a young age. I mean, what were you doing at <laughs> at 17, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> Can I uh, just want to talk? About, <laughs> no, no, no comment. Anyway. <laughs> I just want to talk about him as not just the physical player, the dribbling player. I want to talk about him, the decision maker, because necessarily because of the decision maker, just on the board, the decision he makes have improved so much over the last month that he's coming on and he's picking up plays. He's choosing his moments of going. I'm going to come at you at 100 miles an hour. He's making actually. And lots more decisions. And one moment that stood out to me and I asked Carl about it was, like we saw with uh, the Wanderers game a month or so ago, he is on the counter and he gets hit off the ball because I can't remember who the defender was. Couldn't stop him. Probably defender Lucas Moragas, the poor bastard. I can't remember. <laughs> but defender gets booked. At that moment, I'm like, Nesta's going to get up and just go at him now. I was <laughs> yeah. like, I could watch. He just stayed down. Yeah, and that, and I know you're thinking like, okay, but for someone no, that's no, watched no, this I, yeah, kid for yeah. the last two years and has seen how he deals with these things, for him not to make the re- a reaction is the best thing you'll see because it shows me and Carl be a degree post game that he's not just growing as a footballer in front of us; he's growing as a person that he's learning to control his reaction. That that reaction is exactly what the opposition wants out of him and he's not giving him that satisfaction. So that was a really big moment for me to see, especially with mm. next season coming where he will be here in more than likely his last year in the league where I will think he will see a lot of game time. You need him to become a smart footballer, not just a incredible like shot in the arm, like you said. Well, the thing, you know, just in general, when we talk about young players in the alien stuff, what we need to understand is that decision making is never going to be great when they're teenagers. It's as simple as that. And I said this when we spoke about that Wanderers incident a few months ago. I said he's 17. And I, and I maintain that. I don't, I don't care if anyone wants to say to me, Oh, what a bullshit kind of defense. It's like, no, that's, that's a legitimate defense, right? When, when, when a kid, you know, has those kind of out, you know, outbursts and stuff like that, it, it is, it is a s- symptomatic of his age. That's just kind of how it is, right? And, and he, he'll learn from experience and, and I'm sure, look, I'm sure Carl, um, was over the moon with that, right? And, and that's just a massive kind of, you know, um, stepping stone. Uh, and we're going to see, um, what he can do over these two legs against the Mariners because that's going to be interesting as well because there's going to be two opportunities for kind of, for Carl to use him in the right sort of manner in, 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 in that semi final. But let's, Antonis, like, initial are thoughts we, on that because. Are we talking about that? Yeah. No, let, that. Like, just briefly because like 8-1 over the two games. Yeah. So, like, if you want to look at the, the previous two legs, like, the Mariners yeah. killed him. But it's weird. It's weird. Just going back to something that I think I think Jake mentioned it, where he said, you know, um, teams do well against Adelaide when they sit back and frustrate. But the Mariners kind of do well against yeah. Adelaide by kind of taking it to them and kind of saying, it's... hey, you know what? You guys can play the transition game well, so can we. So, yeah. 
and yeah. it's something I've brought up to Calvi at the last couple of mm. times I've been there. Because number one, before that Mariners game, I asked him, you know, last time you played them, for you lost four nil, and you were there. His response was, "That was this year." <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, he yeah, did say that, was. which was yeah. <laughs> and basically he hinted towards, "Yep, we're not looking at that. It's a new game." Blah blah blah. Well, that game repeated itself, didn't it? And we saw yep. a four-one. And asked Carl Viet again after the Wellington game. You know, you enter this game against Central Coast, a two-leg game. Are you looking? Uh, you've lost eight-one basically on aggregate over the last few games. Are you looking at doing anything differently? And his answer once again was, "Yeah, we're looking at scoring more." So you know, See, what I think, what I think it is, I, but I'm gonna just give me two seconds because. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, you're looking at obviously scoring more. You need more than one goal in two legs to win this match because mm. Central Coast plays exactly like you. But fighting fire with fire isn't really the, the right thing to do when you've been burned twice. I am thinking this might be a bit of mind games by Carl Vid because at the end of the day, the last game we've seen him play, he played with three defensive midfielders. Mm. So he's obviously trying to recover that defensive touch. It'll be very interesting to see how it plays out over the two legs when you've got two games that are one week after the other, not three months apart from each other. Because then we'll see which coach adjusts and learns better yeah, yeah, from yeah, the other a, and how they go from there. That's yeah. what I'm looking out for. I just, uh, Jack, uh, Jack, just just real quick, I just want to yeah. mention something on that because um, I think I think when Carl says things like that, I think what he's saying is like Adelaide can't, and and this is how he operates as coach, and I actually fully agree with it. You can't just suddenly change the way you play going into the next game. Like, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work. He's been working with that group for two years, so I get that. But what I would expect to see is, I wouldn't. it wouldn't shock me if both legs, definitely the first one, he plays with the three defensive midfielders, maybe the second leg away, he does that. Um, And it wouldn't shock me if Adelaide look a bit more like a kind of 4-5-1 out of possession, where actually he's going to tell Goodwin and Halloran um, to drop back. Also, Jack, before we get to you, Ben Halloran. Um, so, sorry, still starting for Adelaide? Um, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing is here, they obviously don't want to start Nesta yet. And yeah. it gives them a lot off the bench right now. Next year, I think it's a different argument. Mm. Bernardo is no sort of form. Has, hasn't been able to get the rhythm. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's about it. And another thing with what you said about that, how it's going to look in possession, if something that coaches bring up about Adelaide and it's valid, is how they play in transition. These forward, those wingers kind of cheat. That, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, I don't think they're going to be able to cheat. Exactly, because yeah. that helps in transition. But now they're going to, Central Coast keeps you accountable in transition. Mm. And obviously to defend that, that takes away from your attacking game. So don't be surprised if you're expecting, oh, it's going to be another high scoring thing. And it's this tight, cagey match that the both sides are trying to mm. figure each other out. And it gets decided in Gosford, which obviously favors the Mariners. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Jack, um, you want, yeah. I want to talk about the the lineup because we got two South Australians uh, on this podcast. Um, do you think that human handbrake error Carl Viet should come out for those two legs? I just want to put it out there because because the the lineup against Phoenix was was sort of evidence of that sort of coming back to the surface. Well, it, of, go, it of, goes back to what I just said. I think that the second leg you could see a lineup like that, and it's probably going to be based on whatever happens in the first leg as well. So yeah, so, so, so a little bit of crossing well. FC coming back. Well, that hasn't gone. It's still what Adelaide does. <laughs> oh, crossing FC, Jesus Christ! And then, uh, yeah. All right, let's if I um could quickly talk about yeah. Mariners. Uh, just real yeah. quick from a tactical yeah. point of view. Um, I think that midfield having that the de- defensive dexterity in the midfield is going to be super important. And I'm actually 
whilst, you know, we can malign about how they line up as a matchup against the Wellington Phoenix, I'm actually, um, you know, a, a little bit, you know, sort of in a more positive mindset for this lineup, mainly because that's where the Mariners kill you. They're pressing into the midfield. That's where they get the interceptions. That's where they can get the ball out. I know they're really good in transition, but they really cramp up the midfield really, really well. Mm-hmm. There's no space for, for ball players, for, 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 um, a dynamic midfield to move as a triangle and get some smooth passing because, you know, having someone like a Nisbet in there, like he's just a little, little tank. He's just everywhere. He's just an everywhere man. I hope, I really hope Josh Nisbet plays really well in this final for uh, two legs. And then if the Mariners get through, he plays really well in the grand final because the whole league needs to understand how good this guy is. Damn it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he's you know, excellent. He's Thank an you. excellent player. And. What I'm saying is that whilst against the Phoenix, it's a bit disappointing to see that really defensive midfield. I think in preparation for that Mariners two-leg semi-final, yeah. I think it was really important for Carl Vier to actually introduce that in this game. Whilst what a bad point. Yeah. It's, 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 not a, it's not the matchup you want against Phoenix, because Phoenix, you can run over the top of if you, if you get it right. If you get that first you know, 25-30 really right, you can run right against the Phoenix. I mean, several teams have done it. I mean, way back at the start of the season, the Newcastle Jets done it, and look where they are. You know what I mean? Like, mm. if you get that first 25-30 right, you can run over them. Uh, and, um, but uh, Viet, to his credit, he was like, no, what I'm going to do is, you know, whilst I'm, I need to win this game, and I believe I can based on the quality in my squad, he sort of thought, but I've also got a two-game series against a team we have not been able to deal with defensively. And he's gone, if I can get minutes into the legs of defensive players as a sort of a, a, a linchpin to try and, to plug a hole, um, to try and plug that, 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 the goals that they're conceding against this team, then I think it's a positive, net positive. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, no. If it works. It just depends. Zach Clough hasn't played now in a month. I don't think he's going to start Ethan Alagic in this next game. And that's basically the midfield. If um, Clough is to come back, who does he drop? Does he drop? He's not dropping Isaias. Louis Dorigo has been a mainstay ever since um, Juan Day broke his leg. And Jay Barnett had a very good game. So, you know, you'd think a Clough comes back in, but I don't know if he's going to start off with him after a month of football. So even though I wouldn't start with the three defensive midfielders in that game, I can see why he would go that route. So it'll be very interesting coming out before the game when that lineup's posted. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's stop psychoanalyzing Adelaide's uh, midfield selection for a second. Um, and <laughs> change gears. Um, because we just talked a lot about Sydney FC, obviously, before, before the break. Um, and Melbourne City is now their next task. So we've got a Victorian here in Jake. And Jake, what, how do you think City, like, what, what are we expecting from City here? Because they, they're likely to have a few, a couple of guys back, right? Um, you know, with Lecky, Lecky's now back and he, he's looking good. So are we expecting something? Cause they're also going to Sydney first on a Friday night, which is interesting. They actually lost in Sydney this season, funnily enough, um, 2 1, which was an interesting result. And, they haven't, you know, we, we've spoken about this briefly. Me and, me and Antonis uh, and Cody spoke about this briefly a few weeks ago about how they haven't been really the same juggernaut under Rado, which was going to be expected. But are they still for you like it's kind of this is a very favorable tie and they should really get the job done without too much fuss? Or is it closer than probably what people think? I think the latter. 
I think they are clearly the favourites to win this, especially, like you've mentioned, Van der Ven started last week, Lecky mm. off the bench. It seems pretty likely they may start, which is huge for them. They are mm. probably two of their best players. Um, massive. But Sydney are, you know, they have to be credited. They've been fantastic form too. These are the two sides that have been in great form. They've really picked it up into this final series. So I really think it could be a close game over the two legs, especially, which has to be credited. And the fact that Sydney do have that first home leg, I think that could be very, very crucial for them. Um, I've noted here that it is tied 4-4 over the two legs. So it has been very, very competitive, even mm. when Sydney were in a poor form. So I, I really can see it go either way. But at the end of the day, I probably would tip City to, to take this. I think they just ultimately have too much quality in attacking areas, which I think Western Sydney weren't really able to expose. Um, you know, against Sydney in their in their pairs, but I'd like to hear what you know, other things. Um, I think tactically, uh, as far as the league goes, whilst um, City have capitulated against a few teams this season, whilst overall being really consistent, I think that Sydney FC tactically looks like a better matchup. Like the 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 um the Corica tactics, whilst um you know haven't been as effective this season, and and there's much been talked about his placing at Sydney FC, which will come out in the off season, I'm sure. Um, I think against a a team like Melbourne City, you got to compete for the ball and you got to compete for, for possession with them. If you let them have the ball, they will win. They love having the possession. They they don't attack in transition. Um. They really, really like to just put the pressure on until a defense capitulates. And what Sydney FC have done really well against most opposition this season, even in losing efforts, is compete for the ball and trying to hold possession, trying to get some consistent passing. So tactically, I think it's a lot closer than people might, um, you know, think. But uh, in terms of the squad depth, I mean, you know, clear, clear away Melbourne City on squad depth. I mean, when you can. If you are going to start someone like Lecky, I mean, when you have the option to pick between Tilio and Andrew Naboo, like he, you know, as just in the attack as as a minutiae of that squad, I mean, you're really spoiled. I think, for, um, yeah, spoiled well, for choice. Yeah, no, no, no. Good point. I think that that selection is going to be interesting because I reckon at the start of the season that was a bit more cut and dry, where Tilio should have been, you know, for sure starting over. But I think Tilio's still been good recently. But Naboo, I mentioned this um last pod, I believe. Naboo's really, I think he's finished the season actually quite strong. And it's going to be interesting to see kind of, yeah, how, how that kind of plays out over the two legs. Look, ja- um, I understand what you're saying. I think, I do think Sydney kind of have it in them to kind of defend though for long periods. I do think oh, they've, I, I, yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that the, the, the defensive dexterity is low. Mm. Uh, but what I'm saying is that at tactically, the, the teams that have beaten Melbourne City are the teams that want to compete for the ball. I know, oh, but uh, but they will moments for sure. They that you know they've yeah, got yeah. ball players as well. It's not like yeah, and, and like again, like yeah, I know I know I talk about them too much, but it's the the team I watch the most. Uh, when Newcastle Jets went down in a losing asset two one, um, you know, way back when, uh, towards the beginning of this season, uh, the Jets really genuinely tried to compete with the ball yeah. without the personnel that were required to beat a team like Melbourne City, and the result was two one. And Sydney FC, when they did beat Melbourne City early in the season, they competed for the ball and beat them two one. And um, for for me, I'm not I'm not sort of downplaying the mental de- dexterity of the Sydney FC squad and how they can defend, especially with Rodwell and Wilco starting to come good at the right end of the season. What I'm saying is that just tactically, if you try to push that midfield, 
they they often have to rely on skill, and obviously their players have a lot of skill to lean off of. I mean, when you've got probably one of the best you know prospects in in Jordan Boss in the country, you know, waiting in the in the wings who can do things like cut on the inside on his right foot and put it in the top corner from a full pack position. I mean, that's going to play a big part. But if Sydney FC try and compete for the ball in the midfield and tr- and just try and put a little bit of pressure on Melbourne City, not let them settle into the game and go through the motions, because that's when they're the most dangerous. If you let Melbourne City settle and go through the motions, I, I think, you know, eight, nine times out of ten, you're losing that matchup. Yeah, I think I think it's very likely the first leg of this one will be far more cagey than than the other one. I think it's probably highly likely both of these teams are going to say, "You know what? Let's see let's see what you what you've got. Let's see kind of what you're trying to do and then come the second leg, we'll, we'll, we'll both teams will kind of go for it a bit more." My my danger for that if I was Melbourne City is and this maybe going to be controversial, but is they don't really have the, you know, the maybe the second leg kind of we're at home atmosphere to kind of bank on if if the first leg isn't you know if it's a nil all or if they go down one nil for example like can they really go back home is amy park going to be raucous enough to kind of will them to a comeback i, I don't that's I, a bit- I don't think it needs to be to be honest because the last three seasons they've shown they can close out games True. there they made three grand finals there i was there um last season when they did to adelaide the side that makes them uncomfortable they just know how to win there and you know if the game's still tied when you go there you're backing them to win it but again i think it all goes down to making melbourne city uncomfortable and yeah sydney is a side like melbourne city that likes to keep the ball i don't know how much melbourne city will allow you to keep the ball especially over two legs so sydney will have to adapt to make life hard for them because as jack said if you let melbourne city play They'll play and they'll play yeah. through you. And you know, so, yeah. And I feel City feels the same way about Sydney too. So it's going to be a game, you know, usually in this league, you see teams that don't want the ball. This is a match of two teams that want the ball hmm. because they can both do things with it. So it'll be interesting how it plays out. I do agree the first leg will be very cagey. I do think though that if Melbourne City somehow gets a result in our first leg, it's completely over. Yeah, I'm yeah. Melbourne, uh, in Melbourne, I'm back in Melbourne City every day of the week, unless they're playing Adelaide. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think as well that um, with with Melbourne City last year, and this is the change which Antonio mentioned before, is that you've got a week break between both games. You don't have like three, four days, so they don't really have to conserve their energy with their pressing either. They can kind of go full for leather, press Sydney high, try and win the ball, and and they can you know be safe in the fact that they're gonna have a week off so um and not a week off but um you know plenty of days rest to 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 kind of recuperate and uh and prepare for the second leg so yeah that that game that tie for me i think overall what we're saying is the tie is going to be far more determinant on the first leg than probably what the mariners adelaide one is because even the mariners adelaide one you know the mariners could win let's say 2-1 in adelaide but i mean both sides are not the best defensively. So, you know, they could kind of, Adelaide could rock up in Gosford and win 3-1. Like, you, you know, you never know, right? So it's, it's going to be interesting how that plays out. Any, uh, Jake, anything you want to add on, on, on the two ties? Yeah, I, th- I think fair points on either side. I think it will be, I think a big determiner on the series will be that first leg. If mm. they can go to Sydney and get a pretty favorable result, I think even a draw will probably be pretty good for them. Um, especially with Sydney's form 
obviously currently in Sydney, um, it will be very, very tough for City to come there with that week off and, you know, be able to really fight them. So I think if they can get a pretty good result there, I think it'll be good. And probably I, I do favor them to do so. I, I think, you know, like we're saying, they're going to have to really bring the games from Sydney. And with the quality of plays in their midfield, like Lecky, Van der Ven, Berisha, Berengay, like these are really, really good players, you know, and, and they mm. can play through that press, like, like player like Braddon. I don't know if he will be able to match them. Who knows? You know, that they, I might be eating my words, but, it will be very, very interesting to see how that pan out. So I, I think I'm very, very excited for that game. Yeah. An, I, interesting, hmm. an interesting thing about this, which we haven't mentioned yet, is that both Central Coast and Melbourne City come off a week off. So it will be interesting to see how that's going to play out, especially with Sydney FC, who feels like they're on a roll when hmm. Adelaide hmm. doesn't really feel that way. That might actually favour Sydney FC to continue their hot streak while Melbourne City may, who knows, start a bit slow away from home after a week off. So it's something to think about. Nick Montgomery was very happy with the week off and said, yeah, we're going to take it, absolutely. But yeah, I don't know how Rado feels about that, especially when Sydney FC are one of the form teams of the competition right now. And I yeah, think nah. also one thing yeah. I quickly want to yeah, add Jack. as well that is really, really important to consider. Coming into this final series, Sydney didn't really have any expectations, to be fair. I think a lot of their fans were almost like, up oh, crap season, you know, we've been terrible, we're probably going to get knocked out first round. They've been able to blow out expectations and win this. I think they come into this with nothing to lose. Like, like, like obviously, you know, they can lose the game and they'll be disappointing, but they are the underdogs Still here. Sydney and FC, Sydney, though. It is still Sydney co- FC. Oh, yeah. Of course, of course. But Sydney, as three-time premiers running in, and ultimate favourites, you'd say, of the league. They have all the pressure here, and mm. I think it's pretty favourable for Sydney. I think there's, it's very, very prone to an upset. So, please do not write off Sydney if, if you're a Sydney <laughs> fan. Please, like trust the me. Other, the other, the other part I'd say as well is that there's a lot of recent history between these two in in big grudge matches. So that also kind of comes into it too. So that's going to be really interesting. And there's always there's always the Bratton Jamison thing, which you got to keep an eye on. That's that's always like really really funny to watch, actually. Oh, um, I, lo- so. I, love, I don't I even love- know if Jamison will see the pitch. To be fair, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I-, I love I love it when Bratton's on the pitch in a final. Something is always going to happen. Dude, yeah, oh, every yeah. single time. Every he's, single he's, time. He's 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 got some dark arts kind of stuff. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> the other thing to bring the talk full circle of the grand final. This is the last chance of a Sydney team making the grand final. So. We're going to see how this plays out because this will make a big difference to what the crowd is on the day. Wait, but Gosford isn't that far from... No, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. It's not just that because you open Pandora's box here as well that if Sydney somehow magically goes through and the play, say, in Adelaide finished higher and Adelaide gets to travel to Sydney to play Sydney to finish below them, yeah. Let's let's please. Yeah. Just... I'm just I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> enough this, this week. Enough. Be, this is a nightmare scenario. scenario yeah, for yeah, them. yeah. I'm just putting it out there because yeah. it's a possibility, mm. you know, and one that when you make a deal with the devil, you accept. Jesus. All right. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's wrap it up, boys. Um, yeah, front page football. Check us out on uh, on Twitter and Instagram at front PG football. Also on Facebook. Also on um, the website, frontpagefootball.net, of course. Uh, and uh, we're also on TikTok. Um, and you can actually catch on TikTok a lot of the kind of clips 
that that we post from uh, from these podcasts as well, um, where you can just listen to more of us uh, talking uh, gibberish. So uh, yeah, I promise that that some of our opinions are, are pretty good. So yeah, come <laughs> check it out um, as well. And uh, yeah, boys, any anything anyone wants to add or uh, I, plug I, even or as my sign off, I, I just wanted to formally apologise to all Wellington Phoenix fans for forgetting that 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 uh, <laughs> that that wrong. Um, hey, hey! You better apologize to them. They, uh, they're not happy. With it's, us okay. The moment. it's okay. It's, it's not like we've upset them ever before in our existence. <laughs> no, no, never, 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 yeah, never. Well, um, um, sin- sincere- sincerely though, that's uh, that's that's a bad move on my part. Anyway. Oh boy, Jake, anything? This is quite unrelated, but it's something I really, really want to say to all aspiring young footballers out there. Look at Craig Goodwin. This man here, he was a great player, a very, very good player, don't get me wrong, but he has taken, as soon as you develop a right foot as a left-footed player, it takes you to another level. Antonis is going to, when's your birthday, Jack? Antonis is going to buy you something and send it to your address. No, no I, I, as, a left-footed, as a left-footed player myself, I, I, I take a lot of inspiration for people and I, and I love to see it, you know, he, he has... Like, like, I probably should have said this when we're talking about Adelaide, but like, I absolutely love Craig Goodwin. I love how he's developed that. So, all aspiring young players out there, not everyone can be Iron Robin and only have one foot. Develop two feet. That's all I got to say. Completely unrelated, but do it. Boys, make a note of this. Jake's left footer. So every single time we're talking about a left footer player, he's always going to take like the positive side. So okay? he's got to have. Jacob Dass is my favorite player. Jake, <laughs> Jacob Dass is also my favorite player. So that's he's also know, Matt Olson's favorite player. So there's a lot. <laughs> Oh boy, Jacob Dowse. Anyway, uh, let's, uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, thanks again, boys, um, for, for another eventful podcast. We went about 35 minutes over probably what I was hoping for, but you know, uh, beggars can't, uh, can't be choosers. All right. Uh, thanks again. Uh, thanks for listening to us. Uh, until next time, until next week, most likely. It's, uh, bye for now. <laughs>